Hello and welcome to Media Plus, a new podcast from the Mac Observer, looking at Apple in the context of the digital media ecosystem with me, Charlotte Henry. And it's been quite the year in 2020 in the world of streaming. We've seen all sorts of new players come, some go, some strengthen their position and some look a little bit weaker. But what is 2021 going to hold for us? Well, I, I've got the perfect person to to tell us. Uh, I've got Tom Harrington, who's a senior TV analyst at the an analytics firm Enders Analysis here in London, who's joining me. Thank you so much, Tom. No problem. Thanks. So, first of all, briefly, what have you made of 2020 in streaming? Let's not talk about anything else. Let's just talk about the streaming. There's a lot of other stuff we could get into. Well, 2020 has been the year that what everyone sort of knew what was going to happen is just it's accelerated and things have just sort of all the forecasts have gone out the window and you know you're just taking years away of sort of what was going to happen like everyone knows where where viewing is headed viewing's headed from traditional linear sort of models down to uh, ott internet delivery and you had this situation this sort of perfect storm um during covid during lockdown where you know, it's a great opportunity for television, which is what traditional television, which has been suffering a loss of a loss of viewing for the last sort of 10 years, especially with younger viewers. Um, everyone's locked in home. There's no, no competition outside of the TV set in terms of entertainment. But, you know, they weren't able to produce any content. Um, and outside of sort of news, uh, you just had these linear schedules just filled with uh, loads and loads of repeats. And um, there was no Carol, live sport for a good no live chunk sport, of time. No live sport, exactly. And you know, the schedule just filled with stuff like you know Jamie Oliver filming his kitchen with his iPhone. Loads of these sort of panel shows, which are done via Zoom, which you know, it's great for the flexibility of the industry that they're able to react and sort of create this stuff. But it gets very, very boring very quickly when you know you're doing interviews. Oh, sorry, you're doing uh, meetings all day on Zoom and then you want to relax in front of the TV set and it just looks like, you know, your work day. Yes, no, that's a no, very good point. With no uh, sort of in-studio sort of, you know, not laugh track, but no live studio to sort of sort of tell you where the jokes are. Yeah, and no, again, as was the case with so much for 2020, no, none of that personal interaction and all that kind of bit of the spontaneity and whatever. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was pretty amazing how some of these stuff adapted so quickly. Um, so you that situa- yeah. So you had that situation where they're doing their best, but then you have these competing libraries of just masses and masses of yeah. content um, up against a kind of aging schedule of filled with repeats and sort of this endless sort of zoom panel shows. And it's no surprise that, Although linear TV got a bump um, in terms of viewing before the end of the first lockdown, it was back to 2019 levels. Whereas streaming basically is holding on to a proportion of that bump, you know, to this day. Yeah. And going forward, you sort of think about like muscle memory around viewing and how people watch and where they start their viewing journey. Yeah. There's a whole mass of viewers now who, before lockdown, would have started. I'm going to start at the EPG. I'm going to start watching you know, linear channels and see what's yeah. online, then maybe go catch up, then maybe drop into Netflix. There's a whole lot of people who are just starting Netflix now. No, and Netflix as you can imagine, no, yeah. once you're in Netflix, you're probably not going to get out until you go to bed. No, exactly. That's detriment. Yeah, and I think probably we underestimate, well, you probably don't, but perhaps I did underestimate the effect of no live sport 
which was the case definitely in the UK where we are and in other countries as well. For a long while, there was no live sport on television, which is basically a lot of the reason why people in lots of places don't cut the cord and just do that. So there, there was a whole host of those issues going on. And then we've had, you had in that environment, newcomers, Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus. And surely Disney Plus is one of the big winners from this year. Well, they have. If I can put it so crudely. Yeah, they had almost sort of the best launch. Right. I remember when they were launching and they were like, oh, we're really worried. You know, this new COVID thing's coming. We have to cancel all these um, sort of launch launch events that we're going to have. And I remember thinking, you know, everyone's going to be at home. This is the best launch you can ever have. Suddenly you have this captive audience that, you know, you can't get your hair cut. You can't go outside and see someone in the park. At the you know at this point in time, the only thing you can do is watch TV or talk to people in your family, and it's like you know who who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah, please give so me do, give ama- me endless uh, endless supply of Disney movies. Exactly, and so it was, it was an amazing amazing situation for them to launch in. Um, and do you think their launch? If you compare, I, I know Apple TV Plus launched in November, but it feels a very very twenty. 20- 20 product to me in the sense that it that's when most people will have engaged with it once they bought maybe when they bought a new iphone when they suddenly sat down and realized there was nothing much else to do at the beginning of the year you know that's when people will have really engaged with it i think um how, how would you compare how those two have fared i know it's perhaps not fair to make a, a direct comparison but they are both uh, new streaming services that depend on original content. You know, they're not buying libraries. They have their own libraries of content. Um, how, how would you say they fared against each other? Well, I think it's, at first it's like important not to, and this is what happens, sort of look at the initial libraries when these things launch. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, right. And go, well, that's what it's going to be like forever. It, and it in takes- Apple TV Plus particularly, that has changed quite significantly. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you would have seen in the sort of Disney announcement a week or so ago, you know, they're like, we're going to have 10, you know, we're going to have 10 uh, Star Wars shows, we're going to have 10 Marvel st- shows, we're going to have like a, like a billion. All the Star movies. Wars and Marvel is coming. It's going to be on Disney Plus. Whereas, you know, there was a, there was, for the first year, it's people like, well, you know, it's Mandalorian and what else is on here? And it's, it takes a long time to make TV shows. And a lot of these services, you wouldn't call it, say they've been rushed, but they've been brought forward um, maybe earlier than they were expected to. And so they have libraries which. When you compare them to services like, you know, Amazon or Netflix, which have been at it for years, you know, they do look a little bit smaller. And have bought up stuff instead, as well as making it. And, you know, used everyone else's stuff to sort of push them bulk, forward bulk out, uh, yeah. and bulk them out. Um, but I guess, you, you know, you have to look at the, the two different services for what they're trying to achieve. Disney, Disney Plus is, you know, their pivot to direct to consumer, to reach the consumer, to bypass um, especially the US cable, which is sort of the bottom sort of fallen out of um, mm. and continue sort of, you know, their flywheel. You know, Disney's amazing at sort of monetizing their IP and that bought all this IP sort of over the last decade, you know. Uh, how, ex- do you explain briefly what you mean by that? Well, you know, you know, they have, they have cruises, they have... They, uh, own, they own Mickey they Mouse, have, so... They have, they have, you know, shops where you can buy this stuff. If you, yeah, yeah, you know... Yeah, yeah. If Netflix at the moment they have IP, which is some of it, some of it's valuable. It takes a long time to sort of grow IP until it's synonymous and everyone sort of knows everything about it. Sure. Disney has this IP, which you know you can put it on. Surely you can put it on Disney Plus, and people are paying a small amount, a sort of 
a subsidized amount to access Disney Plus at the moment and a sort of artificial price to access Disney Plus, which is, you know, people don't value streaming services particularly highly in terms of how much they'll pay for it, mostly because they've been paying not very much for Netflix for a very long time. Yeah, and, and there was the initial price point war, wasn't there, between yeah. uh, Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus, where they're both like four ninety nine, five ninety nine. Like they were trying to kind of be as low as how low can you go, weren't they? Exactly. Um, like if, if, you know, they come out and sort of charge nineteen ninety five or something a little bit closer to what you know they should be offering. Uh, should be offering it for then people will be like, why am I paying you know four or three four times as much as I'm paying for this other sort of product? Mm. But Disney, you know, Disney can offer up these shows. And then, you know, they can encourage you to, you know, buy merchandise and, or go to parks or go on cruises and all this sort of thing. And from, you know, you watching that show and pay, paying a minimal amount to actually watch it in the first place, they can make all, all you know, all these sorts of money, all these different revenue streams can flow into Disney. Yeah, well. and in the same way Apple is pursuing that model, isn't it, in the sense of, yes, you can, you can and this is the example I always use, uh, when I discuss this topic, yes, you can watch a documentary about the new Bruce Springsteen album. You can then also go and buy the album on iTunes or listen to it with your Apple Music subscription. Uh, and presumably you're going to do that on a device that you've bought from Apple. So it, it's not quite the same, but that you can see the the way that they're both using the kind of TV streaming services and entry point as opposed to their main way of making money. Exactly. And it's, when, it's when, you know, people will have a chart and they'll have Netflix. This is how many people have Netflix. This is how yes. many people watch it through Amazon. And yeah, it's like, yeah. well, the, you're comparing completely, well, not completely different things. They're all TV content, but these are different things. They're monetized in different ways. They have different um, reasons for existing. Um, so it's not really like for like. Uh, no, when, I think that's when a really. To work out how people are doing, how, how, how different companies are doing in this sort of space. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that has slightly been lost in the whole discussion of the streaming wars of 2020. We're not always comparing apples with apples, are we? Um, and one of the kind of different examples, if you like, a, a new arrival just towards the end of this year has been Discovery Plus. Um, and you wrote a paper on that recently for Enders Analysis. What's your what's your take on that as a service? It's it's all nature documentaries and so forth, isn't it? From, from the Discovery Channel, the Discovery Network. Well, you know what Discovery does really well is what they call I think it's called real life content. So you know they do you know nature documentaries, but they also do a lot of you know hoarder program or storage wars sort of stuff. Or oh, good! And all that's in there, brilliant. Houses, all that sort of stuff. So, sort of the TLC stuff. You know, my strange addiction. <laughs> they do it, but, you know, it's amazing. The, pro the problem is, you know, it's not, there isn't, in terms of entry to make this sort of stuff, it's not like making a, a you know, premium drama, which costs loads of money. It yeah. doesn't cost a lot of money to make a show about, um, you know, a couple fixing up houses and selling them. Um, they do it better and they have more of it than anyone else. But the question is about, you know, what do people want from a service? Like when these, when these S1 services start to hit, People were like, well, you know, people take bundles of channels. They take 100 channels. Why won't they take 100 SVOD services? But a channel on a, on a TV guide is completely different. You know, you flick between them. Uh, people schedule against other schedule. You know, they'll know yeah. uh, uh, the bigger channel has a drama on, so we'll put on something completely different so people that don't want drama watch that. Uh, streaming services, you know, you go into there and you don't go out, really, if it can keep on offering you you know, stuff to fill, fill your desires in terms of what. Yeah. You're I mean, uh, 
you notice even if, in Netflix, if you put in a, a show and it doesn't have the show, it knows the show you're putting in and recommend you something similar. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you go in there and you, you'll be like, I want to watch a hoarding program in one of these big broad services like Amazon or like what Disney's sort of becoming and will be in a few years, maybe mm. not yet. And what Netflix is certainly like. And you sort of have to wonder whether, you know, people need these, they're not, it's not a niche service, but it's, do people need this thing for just this one single genre or a couple of genres when they have enough of that maybe elsewhere? And it's all about like, where do people go first and where do people get stuck in? Because at the end of the month, if you're paying, you know, six, seven, eight dollars or pounds or whatever, if you haven't used it, you'll eventually unsubscribe. And the expectation there is that it should be easy to unsubscribe. All this has been set by Netflix and people expect that. And if you're not using it, you'll unsubscribe. And it's sort of what you see with how many services people are taking. You know, a lot of people said, you know, they're going to hit, people are going to hit five, six, seven. But in the US and the UK, it's sort of 1.8, 1.2 yeah. services per household that actually takes any streaming service. And that's got a bit of a bump from Disney. Disney's obviously done very well. But basically that 1.8, everyone has Netflix. A lot Is of those that services you're paying for or that you that's actually ser- have a login to? That's services you're paying for, yeah. So, yeah, because I've looked into this a bit and I'll link to the chart that we, we wrote up a while back in the show notes that it, it appears to be Netflix plus one or maybe two and yeah. Apple TV plus, for example, can be in there because basically no one has been paying for it. Yeah. If and it's so a, if it's a like, for, well, it's a paid for service that you're using. Um People are like, yeah, I'll watch the morning show the so, yeah. and defend you, Jacob, because I'm I've got my new iPhone and I'm not paying for it anyway. I think it's yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of these services, a lot of people are getting them for free because it's very hard to sort of cut through this. I guess this sort of like Netflix, Amazon sort of one two, and a lot of people have Amazon and don't use it. That's the other thing because they have it for the shipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, exactly. But to be yeah. sort of a third service, this is the thing to be a third service when people already have one big service that they're not that they have and they're not using much is pretty hard unless it's sort of a particularly niche thing and then they, or there's a particularly good show and all these things are driven by originals. People sign up general maximum sort of people sign up for originals and they stay for the library, the library. Exactly. So let's look to the future then. I think we're all very keen to do that at the moment. So what has the streaming wars got in store for us in 2021? We saw, um, yeah, we saw in 2020 that one newcomer already went by the wayside, Quibi. We, I think a lot of us who watch this stuff were a bit unconvinced about what it was, what it was going to do. And in the same way that Disney Plus had the perfect launch with it into the COVID-19 pandemic, Quibi could not have been more adversely affected. It was a, it was a disastrous time. Uh, the service designed for people being on the go and watching quickly and being on the move uh, launch when nobody was on the move. And so it was a total disaster and is basically no more. But what's, do you think other services are going to go that way in 2021? Are we going to lose? Is, is Discovery Plus going to make it a year? Are we going to lose? Uh, you know, Apple TV Plus seems pretty set. We're hearing not just of second seasons for shows, but of third, for Mankind, Servant. We've got new, you know, a big roster of stuff that is expected to be launched. Disney Plus is clearly not going anywhere. As you said, they've got hordes of shows of their biggest brands coming forward. What do we got in store for us in 2021? Well, I don't think there'll be any major 
shutdowns or whatever you want to call it, or services that don't make it through 2021? Um, Because these are sort of, they're all in growth, in the growth phase at the moment. You think Quibi was a bit of a unique example? It was unique in that, you know, it was a terrible idea and never really made it. <laughs> it was a uniquely like awful no, idea. No, you know, nobody pays for short form content. Nobody wants to watch. Um, TV has spent 50, sort of 50 years working out exactly how long a drama should be and how long a story should be. And that's why, you know, you watch Netflix and, you know, they sort of talk, talk about data and they talk about, you know, we use this to optimize here. They don't really talk about it that much anymore. It was a few years ago. Um, but they still basically just make TV shows that you would see on a normal TV channel because that's sort of what works and that's what people are used to. People aren't used to and don't really want a 10-minute TV, TV show, 10-minute drama. And to get them to pay for and pay for, it would never really make any sense. You know, short form is good for a lot of, lot of things. You, know, you just have a look on like what works on YouTube. I was just about um, to say YouTube. Which is was... kind of the opposite of what was on Quibi. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of... It's not drama. It's off, you know, user generated again. Very, in it, it wasn't YouTube content. Is content designed for the platform that people have made their own genres of content that work on that platform? Quibi was trying to transpose a genre of t- stuff content that already exists onto and up, a new up, and up against a service which YouTube, which is has the most amazing recommendation engine. Yeah, in the yeah, world. yeah. Get you there forever and just has like. I don't know what it is. Millions of hours of content being added every second. Yeah, like, yeah I don't know how. And then for free. And then you want to be char- you want to charge people for something which isn't as good and doesn't really sit around your life the same way that that does. So we've got no. You don't think anything is going to go? Do you think more of these services are going to keep growing? Are we going to see, for example, people are going to have to start paying for Apple TV Plus soon? Some people, at least, feb- come February. Are we going to see a drop off in numbers there? Do you think? Well, I guess you know from the Apple point of view, it depends on whether it's meeting their inter- internal objectives. Whether you know they think, well, you know, people are getting this for free, and people are buying phones slightly sooner than you know what they wouldn't without it because they get a free subscription. If we keep on offering that, that sort of thing, if that's sort of the overriding objection, if you know the people who are watching it are upgrading to other sort of subscriptions uh, through Apple. If that's yeah, the Apple. Well, if it's driving so, people to get the Apple yeah, one maybe bundle, they'll extend it a little bit longer. Like it's not costing them a whole lot of money no. uh, compared with a whole lot of other stuff. Um, but I guess it all comes back to this thing that people aren't taking loads and loads and loads of subscriptions, and no. there's been all these launches, and people aren't going to take all of them. So there's going to be there's you know these companies which come from a traditional environment where all they had to do was just put some content on a channel and sell those channels to places all around the world. Um, and people didn't really have a choice whether to take them. You know, you got a bundle and it had a hundred channels on it, and maybe you never watched any of them. I mean, maybe you liked the fact that you, and people liked the fact that they have a hundred channels. But at the end of the day, maybe they didn't watch all these channels. Five, yeah, they watched five or six. Yeah, but yeah, which are at now but all these channels are now sort of encased in a SVOD service by a you know a large content company. Yeah. Are they going to take this SVOD service? It's like, well, probably, well, probably not if they've never watched that sort of stuff before. Explain what you mean by that, because in terms of the, the service. Well, I guess, you know, in the past you had companies and the model was, you know, you have some channels and you sell them to different, for carriage, uh, different pay TV companies. Yeah. And they pay you, it goes into the bundle and people just get it whether they like it or not. Yeah. I might and, not watch Bravo 
Exactly. But, but then I get it in the package that gives me the sports channels I want, so it's there. So suddenly now these these services, these these TV shows have been put into a service which has to stand alone on its own yeah. two feet. So you get this situation now where, you know, well maybe people do like that, but do they like it enough to pay for it separately? And you know, they'll end up getting bundled with other services themselves. And you sort of start seeing that by the big, you know, from the big pay TV companies who bundle Netflix or Amazon or, you know, in the UK, it's the Sky, you know, they bundle Netflix. You can't not get Sky now without Netflix. And Discovery Plus is free and that's sort of in there. And it's all basically just sort of reverting back to this bundle from before. Yeah, and with, and with Apple, it's you can get TV, you can get music, you can get... Um, and it actually give you storage and those kind of things as a, as you say as part of this bundle if you want that or you can just watch the tv shows yeah uh, how how do you think so we've talked a lot um, um me and my colleagues at the mac observer about month 13 for apple tv plus when people maybe first they and they've slightly delayed that now it was going to be the first month we thought december was going to be the first month people had to pay for it really it's going to be february because they've extended the free trial for three months for most people uh, if you subscribed in november time so what do you think that's obviously again another friction point another clinch point for apple tv plus the first time people see coming up in their credit card bill that they've paid for this thing i think they were just watching for free now they've taken 4.99 out of their bank account or whatever how do you do you see we don't know numbers either of apple tv plus but do you see its growth and its integration into people's lives being sustainable we saw extraordinary numbers from disney didn't we it was what 87 million subscribers in the first year when they thought it was going to take them basically four years to get to that level um we can, I think we can fairly assume that there's not that many people watching Apple TV Plus. Yeah. But so yeah. How, how how do we see the comparison going into particularly in 2021 as people start having to pay? Well, I guess um, I'm not sure of the US figures how many people are watching the, in the US. In the UK, we think it's about sort of 300,000 people are, are watching stuff, not to have access to it so on TV Plus. On, on TV Plus, yeah. So it all depends on, as I said, sort of whether it's meeting these core objectives within Apple as to whether they sort of extend it. Um, there's all sorts of stuff they can do to make it a little bit more palatable, sort of that shift into when people actually start paying. And you see this all the time with sort of Netflix. They have a churn, a greater churn during Q2 than they have any other time of the year. And that's when they have all the big returning series come back to sort of convince people maybe they want to stay. Um, those people who are sort of on the fence so they can sort so of do... in the second quarter of the year people might go i'm not paying for netflix this month i've seen yeah, it but i'm than, not bothered it's higher than any other point um okay. whether it's just a seasonal sort of thing it's sort of come out a lot of people subscribe sort of in q4 and maybe over the winter break and... and then they sort of come and then they sort of move out so it's a general you know, it's a general challenge for all these services interesting um it entirely depends on whether you know it's, it's achieving what, it, what they're supposed to do. The, the, some of the shows have sort of cut through, you know, they've won awards. Yep. But it hasn't really, when you consider how many people sort of have iPhones and how many people have had access to it, it probably hasn't had the impact that it could have had. Yeah, a that, that's a really interesting, 
that's a really interesting point because we had at the launch Oprah Winfrey, uh, you know, declaring a billion pockets y'all and saying how many people had iPhones and could watch the stuff. And if you're telling me in the UK it's 300,000, we don't really know in the US. The truth is we don't really know at all because Apple doesn't release those numbers specifically. Um, and there may well be a reason for that. I think if they were outstanding numbers, we might hear some of them. Um, the cynic in me thinks. But it. I think some of the shows have had an impact, I think. And I think we may see the returns also have an impact, particularly. You know, I think people will want to see know what happens in the second series of the morning show, um, particularly if they're rewriting, apparently they're rewriting it to reflect the coronavirus outbreak and those kind of things. I think those kind of figures will uh, draw people in. I think people have, as we've, we all know, have really enjoyed Ted Lasso and that seems to be a breakout hit and has made some kind of impact, which is I still can't quite get my head around how successful that show appears to have been. But um, it, it has been. And whether that, again, was a moment of timing whereby everyone just needed something fun and confident and, uh, you know, comforting and Jason Sudeikis being sweet and lovely was what everyone needed this summer, maybe. Um, but I suspect people will return to that. But I think we could see a thing with Apple TV Plus in 2021. And I'll be interested to get your take on this, whereby people wait for a bunch of stuff to be released so the whole of the morning show is now on there um the whole of the next season two of ted lasso is on there and then i'm gonna so i'm gonna pay for it for a month to watch it all and then i'm gonna not pay for it for a couple of months yeah generally when uh, you see this all the time when and it comes back to that sort of point of sort of combating churn by having returning series come back you know, when a second series comes you get people who also want to watch the first series yeah um of that show Although, you know... No, but, but even people who originally watched the first show go, well, I can't be bothered to watch episode one the minute it comes out. Okay, so they're releasing it one, 10 episodes a week for 10 weeks. In a, in a month's time or two months' time, I'll sign up again and watch yeah. the whole lot. Yeah, and, you know, Binge outside watcher. of Netflix or Amazon, which is basically a shipping, shipping with video. Yeah. The, the churn of these things, are, you know, is highly variable and it's often around sort of the few big shows that they have. Um, so, you know, if you only have a couple of, you know, breakthrough hits, whatever the, whatever the sort of definition of that is, you know, you will see people sort of churning around those shows. That's You know, that's good as well. You have people who actually like your shows and you can build on that. You can have shows that are related to that. You can have, yeah. when, you know, if they're in the ecosystem, watching that one show, you can offer them other shows. The yeah, oh, they, I signed up like to any, this. They don't like anything there and they just churn straight out and never come back. Like, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's where the problem is. So where do you think, if we were having this conversation this time next year, where do you think we will be first with TV Plus and then the broader streaming space? Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, in month 13, as you said, how so Apple approach it because how they approach it will reflect how it's doing and how it's doing for them and whether it's it's sort of fulfilling sort of the, the, the narrative that they want and whether it's driving sort of the, the revenues elsewhere. In terms of sort of a broader sort of picture, I think by the end of this year or in a year's time, um, you're going to start to see cracks emerging. You're going to start to see sort of numbers around these services which can't be explained away by, you know, 
well, maybe our initial sort of marketing didn't work and it was a little bit confusing, like, you know, HBO Max or something like that. Yeah, we haven't no even really, touched on that, which is... Which, you know, no one really understood, you know, the difference between all these things that are HBO something, HBO, mm. you know, go HBO. Have I got HBO, which is yeah. Catch-up, which is a catch-up service, you know. In a year, whether that's not working, especially, you know, you know, the putting put everything from a theatre alongside it on, you know, that's, you know, going to be running concurrently their theatrical releases um if that doesn't work you know there's going to be all sorts of problems and there's going to be lots of people sort of waiting 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 to sort of take that down and you know eventually down the track you're talking about hbo max there because as i discussed with jeff gamma on a previous episode they're planning to basically put starting with wonder woman isn't it really but everything for from warner brothers is going to go both into cinemas and onto hbo max for 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 the year, which was interesting in that you know they weren't going to say we're going to play it by ear and see what you know see how this thing goes throughout twenty twenty one. It was like this year, this slate. This is, this is what's happening. Yeah, it makes a little bit of sense because you know a lot of cinemas won't be open, so in terms of reach in cinemas, it's going to be minimised for you know the foreseeable future. But to put a date on it, as opposed to Disney, who you know a week ago said you know. We can be flexible with stuff. If something we don't think is going to work theatrically, we can put it on Disney Plus. Otherwise, we're definitely going to have stuff theatrical because you know yeah. we make billions and billions and billions and through, billions through this. But in a year, we're going to we're going to know what's probably not going to work. And you know, some of these things they just have to be to work. They have to be aggregated with other services because they aren't all encompassing and they aren't broad enough to really stand on their own two feet. And you're going to see sort of bundling between services. You get this service, you also get that service, and then there'll be integration between services and then those companies might as well just sort of be integrated themselves because this is the way that viewing's going and this is the way their output of content has to go. Well, let's hope that this time next year we can all spend a lot less time watching streaming services and a lot more time doing other stuff. But for now, thank you so much, uh, Tom Harrington, Senior TV Analyst at Enders Analysis, for joining me. Uh, Where can we keep up with your work, with your insights? Um, well, check out our website or Twitter, which I assume is at Enders Analysis. Yeah, and you're at EndersAnalysis.com. You have, do you have any uh, personal Twitter or anything you want to plug? Absolutely not. Well done, Tom. He's kept away. He's kept himself safe. Very good. Well, I'm Charlotte Henry, and I'm shamelessly going to plug at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter. And, of course, keep it here at themacobserver.com. And please do subscribe and share to this channel, uh, uh, to, to this podcast. And we will be back in 2021, which will hopefully feel a lot different at some point to 2020. Uh, thank you all for joining me for the start of this show. And uh, look for, we've got some great guests coming up next year. So I hope you will subscribe and rejoin me next year. But have a very good Christmas and New Year, whatever way you can. And I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.